Sonic Talk, this is episode number 332. Can you believe it? Seems like only yesterday it was 331. So uh, I want to say thank you very much to everybody. Um, we can't seem to get through to Gaz Williams. Uh, as you've noticed, this is our new HD system, and it's still a few kinks in the uh, in the recording, um, one of which uh, I've just demonstrated by forgetting to switch the recorder. The audio back up, but don't worry, it's all going to be fine. I can get hold of that audio. Um, just too many things to deal with, uh, but we have now enabled it so that we should be able to get four people in the show, but uh, sadly we haven't got four of them at the moment. Um, I want to say thank you very much to uh, Isotope for their sponsorship of the show. Uh, more from them later. We do have a competition winner from the the aborted version last week. I want to say thank you to uh, my guests again for last week for covering while everything was sort of uh, being debugged uh, live. But uh, anyway, thank you. That's very kind of you as ever. So I'm going to come to, uh, let's see, let's have Dave Spears over there, G4 Software, looking great in his full HD uh, world. Um, G4 Software, of course, makers of fine musical instruments and uh, basically looks like what is uh, one of the world's largest collectors of analog synthesizers uh, turning into rapidly. How are you, Dave? I'm all right, thank you. Yes, we've got more this week. You haven't. Do you want to see something really cool? I like would love this. to. Like this a lot. Like that. Oh, is that an octave? Meow. Meow. How is that? Beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Sorry, I've got to plug the mains back in. Yeah, really beautiful. I I, I noticed um, the only person I've seen demoing uh, or, or, you know, heard one is uh, Jody Wissenhoff from uh, Way Out West, who's in Bristol, who's got one. That's the only person I know that owns one. it, It looks in pretty good condition. It's absolutely spot on. It, uh, it's funny because the guy who ran the company found five in an inventory cupboard. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> they were boxed with manuals and everything and uh, a couple of the cat sticks as well and a cat clock. So, What's a cat stick? It sounds like something you used to stop cats weeing on your garden. Yeah, no, it's a kind of add-on CV device. You can use it with any synth. It has a couple of LFOs and it's got two little joysticks wow that sounds great i can't wait so, to see yeah, it very very cool i haven't we haven't got that yet i'm kind of desperate for that because whilst this is great it's only one lfo and i'm desperate to put another couple of things what in would it. you say it's uh it's sound character was primarily it's really fascinating because obviously it was known as a kind of knockoff arp odyssey which is so not true i mean you know obviously there's aesthetic and design similarities but sonically uh it's very different. And the great thing is is that you can mix uh, the audio waves. So you've got audio uh, on the VCOs. You've got sub-oscillator, uh, sub sawtooth, triangle, and pulse width. And you can mix and match those. Oh, So you yeah. can get some really bombastic bottom-end stuff. It's brilliant. Really, really impressed. Oh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, having a look at that at some point. Thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, right, well, we better get on to another guest. We've got uh, over there Mark Tinley, who's uh, wearing yet another piece of headgear. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com, uh, sound artist and creative thinker, and um, man with expanding number of fridge magnets, by the looks of things. <laughs> I am expanding my number of fridge magnets. You can never have enough. I agree. 
if you buy those little innocent drinks, you know, for the kids with the straw coming out, they're giving away free mi- fr- fridge magnets with those at the moment. Yeah, I always find no that... good for anyone in America, of course, that piece of information, but if you've got kids and you're, you're in the UK... I'm sure there's an equivalent. I find fridge, mag- fridge magnets fall into several categories. You get the ones that aren't quite strong enough to, uh, um, basically, to um, hold a piece of paper... You need the one that's got that's strong enough to, to hold a party invite. That's the that's the tricky part. I had um, well, I had these magnetic bracelets actually, and they, they're so strong that if you put the thing on your wrist, when you put it on your wrist, it clamps your skin together, and and if you break those up into individual magnets, they're brilliant. So there you go, another hot tip that's got nothing to do with music technology. That's all right. And the washing machine in the background. And the washing machine in the background. Well, thanks, Mark, for joining us. And uh, we'll go finally to our uh, US correspondent, uh, Mr. Richard Hilton over there, uh, who's the keyboard player with Chic, and also Niall Rogers' preferred studio guy. Runs the shop over there, the ship, the shop, and the and the show, shall we say. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Let's get a bit more level on you. This is the other beauty of this system. I can I can independently mute and um, and deal with everybody's levels, which is just a dream. Even though I have to keep turning around and looking at my ridiculously <laughs> complex. That uh, might have been a bit quiet. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, do you need something a bit louder yourself? I can. Uh... No, it's all good. Excellent. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. So, um, well. I suppose we should get started. Um, the first thing that we have to look at is uh, this was something from last week, actually, which um, we sort of mentioned a bit. And this was to do with um, there's just basically there's a, a brilliant article well, or, or an interesting article, shall we say, on Pro Sound Web by uh, Bobby Ozinski, and it's to do with the uh, this notion that um, 440 hertz is a sort of fairly recent. Um, tuning standard it used to be uh, 432 and it's got all sorts of uh, connotations in history apparently you know one theory is that uh, uh, the German propaganda ministry during the war uh, decided they wanted to change it from 432 which was a more sympathetic tone to 440 which was a more sort of warlike and edgy thing and keep people on their toes and it's just a, a, it, it opens up an enormous number of uh, possible conspiracy theories or whatever but uh, I have a video to play which has um, some audio so this should basically give us the, there's two frequencies here there's a, basically a loop which has a terrible loop in it actually which loop do you enjoy the most spelt terribly badly this is 432 hertz ah the same frequency as water solar life all things you know there are things apparently that it has uh, has to do To me, bizarrely, that sounds out of tune, even though it's in tune with itself. And then this is at the 440. And so on and so forth. And what's really bizarre about this is when you look on YouTube, um, there are, honestly, there are, I don't know, there are just thousands of things that have been retuned to 432 hertz. Obviously, these purists, I guess they must be similar to the people who like to hear violins without vibrato. Uh, but it's, it's quite a fascinating uh, subject, and it's, it, it runs up. Um, one one thing that Bobby um, does mention is that uh, if you look at the um, now, what's the name of the word? It's cymatic. Uh, it, there's a science that cymatics, which is what sound looks like when going through water. So you get these kind of different um, 
uh, representations vibration. So this is the uh, 432, which somehow... I don't know whether that means it's good or bad, but it looks pretty. And then 440, which looks like that, which I suppose is less pretty. <laughs> but that, that's about as far as it goes. I know, Rich, you've studied music. I think perhaps it's only fair to come to you first. Um, did you find, do you find it pleasing either way? I mean, you, have you got perfect pitch to start with? No, not really. Uh, occasionally. I have part-time <laughs> perfect pitch. Part-time perfect pitch. I like the sound yeah. of that. It's sort of... Um... Right, just then I had perfect pitch, but I've been playing today. Like in other words, I have a keyboard to my left ear that you guys don't hear that I hear. Ah, okay. And uh, I had been playing, but I went into my head and I said, "Play a G," and I played a G in my head, and I laid my hand on G, and it was a G. But uh, out of a dead sleep, maybe now and then, not all the time. But it, but to get to this conversation, um, I think, and and I'm going to sort of hijack the conversation a bit here, and I don't take that lightly. I think that the point about whether it's 440 or 432 is a lot less uh, impressive to our perception of the way something sounds than the compromises that we deal with in equal temperament. Right. And, uh, Wendy Carlos used to make this point a lot and used to record things where uh, she would try to make the pitches as perfect as possible for the context they were in rather than adhere to a strict 12 tone. There were certain uh, Bach, later Bach Brandenburg recordings that uh, attempted this. And um, at one point I did an experiment with Sampler where I actually looked up the table, the tuning tables for like A major and I tuned the, the Sampler to A major. And when you're playing... In A major, it's like the sun came up. It's unbelievable. The difference in the way it affects you and the way that chord sounds when um, the harmonics are properly tuned. It's really pretty remarkable. But then you play an F-sharp major chord and it sounds like it sounds like nails on a blackboard. Ah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, So are... I don't think whether it's 440 or 432 as the pitch center has half as much to do with the way it affects the way we hear things as does the relationship between the pitches in any given single chord that are stretched or narrowed due to the equal temperament that we've come to accept as norm. Uh, that's an interesting idea. I mean, because I, I, those, uh, like you say, the, the way that the scales have developed is really quite a major shift as well. Although that's perhaps not so so much in recent time, perhaps. We've had more time to get used to it, I suppose. Well, I don't remember exactly where in the musical history that equal temperament became the accepted standard, but certainly by the time... The invention of, was, it, was it the invention of the keyboard? No. Ah. No, no. It, pre it post-dated that because there were keyboards that were tuned to play in a certain pitch range of pitches and pieces were written for that. Oh, okay. Um, the assumption that you could freely change keys began somewhere around Bach, as I understand it. Now, I could be really out to lunch there, but somebody will let me know if I am. Hmm. But that's the way I understand it, is somewhere around Bach's time is where the ability to freely change keys became important, and that's what ran the whole equal temperament thing. Right. Uh, okay. Um, anybody else have any? Um, I, I, don't, I know Dave. You sent me a couple of other links. I mean, it's a fabulous kind of wacky conspiracy theory, but it's actually also quite interesting that this sort of that any standard, I suppose, would just be adopted randomly, and what made it stick, I suppose. 
There's all sorts of weird conspiracy things, isn't there, about the whole Nazis and music. I heard that, you know, it was almost illegal to play anything in a minor key because that was slightly melancholic and whatnot, which is why I sent you that link, because I love that whole thing about, you know, the whole Nazi thing and jazz. It's like 10% could be improvised. I I don't know. There was just a million things in there that I thought were brilliant. Um, I thought... This is quite interesting on on some kind of... I'm more interested to hear what Mark's got to say about this, actually, because I think he'd probably uh, have a few more profound things to say than I could possibly do. But, I mean, I've worked with guitarists who really think that 432 is the way everything should go. And then, conversely, we've had emails from people saying, oh, you know, why can't uh, the synths be globally tuned to even things like 417 and 528 and stuff like that, which, I mean, 528 is massively out. So, yeah, I find it quite interesting. And I did do some research on this years ago, and it's something to do with, isn't 440 the kind of one chakra and 432 is another one? And it's like, depending on which one you want to kind of open up and stimulate as to which you're supposed to use. But it all just sounds kind of slightly out of tune if you uh, mix and match to me. So that's about it. Um, Yeah, actually, that's quite interesting because I've got another video, which when I first play this, it really, well, see what you think. I'll have to talk over it because no doubt uh, there will be an awful amount of copyright issues going on. Although maybe the fun- because the fundamentals changed, it might not catch it out. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be interesting. This is a- a- Adele's tune down uh, to four three two. I'm not going to play it all because we will get busted. But that to me. Even the relationships of the pitch within itself that's drifting across the pedal note just sounds wrong to me. And I don't know whether that's because it's the um, the pitch, gain, pitch change algorithm or, you know, something. But it just sounds very odd. Did anyone else get a chance to listen to any of those other examples? I listened to whatever examples were there. Ah, but there's some interesting other kind of concepts um, with that that I find... Um, but I don't know whether I don't think I've got perfect pitch. Um, but uh, I do seem to have. Uh, it did sound wrong to me. Right, oh, I, I can I- bring one more practical experience to this discussion, and it goes like this: We occasionally have to prepare tracks for track dates for Nile and the girls to do uh, for various appearances or performances or whatever. Uh huh. And those records originally were very sped in the mastering. Uh, ah, so yeah. Some of them don't appear in their original form at a 440 scale pitch. And for the purposes of these live gigs, I've had to retune certain songs so that with a single guitar standing in front of a single crowd as these songs go by, your guitar remains in tune from piece to piece. Right. And not once, not one time, not ever. Has anybody said, that doesn't sound like the original record to me? Huh. That's interesting you should say that. Because I was wondering the same. Because obviously DJs all the time are very speeding records. I mean, and have been for, you know, even just beat matching. Because that's the way that you do it rather than time stretch. So hmm. I did read years ago that it was vocalists who were pushing the 440. Ah, okay. Maybe you're right. kind of more comfortable. Mark, but what do you think? Again, I think it's all relative. Right. And it's only ever relative. 
and it's never anything but relative. So if the Nazis wanted to raise the pitch of music slightly to give people a more upbeat feel, then now we're in 440 and we're all used to it. And I may not have perfect pitch in that I, like Rich, probably can't wake up in the morning and hum uh, an A440 to myself, find it on a keyboard and play it and it will be right. But I do think I have pretty perfect pitch perception. And again, that's about it being relative. So if I hear somebody, one instrument in the context of other instruments, I'll hear that instrument, whether it's in tune or not, with other things. And I've kind of got acclimatized to auto-tune. So if I listen to older records, I hear things being out of tune. And I think that if we just move the pitch somewhere else, we'd probably have a massive impact on people. Um, if if people are used to hearing things at 440 and we're now telling them, oh, it's really great to have it at 432 and then we're retuning everything to 432, of course it's going to make a difference to those people. There's this thing that's, uh, by uh, Robert Anton Wilson and he uh, basically... Uh, said what the thinker thinks the prover proves. I think it was something he learned from Dr. Leonard Orr. So whatever we believe will become true for us. And we believe that a second is a duration of time and we measure time by the rotational speed of our planet. And our, and our planet doesn't spin at a fixed rate, it spins at a variable rate. And um, the, its relativity with other planets is variable and the speed of Sound is variable and the speed of light is variable. So if we're talking about 440 cycles in a second, what is a second? That's the <laughs> question you want to ask yourself. Interesting idea. Second? I suppose the other thing is, if you think about it, all these records being at different pitches, I don't doesn't seem to show up on the radio, which is interesting. But I do have Gaz Williams who's just drinking a glass of water. <laughs> I caught him by surprise. We managed to get him working. I think um, his contacts didn't allow me to call him, perhaps. We've, we've now established contact. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. I didn't change anything. Ah, okay. So, no, it might be yeah. because I called you from a different machine. Ah. Uh, okay. Or, I don't know, or something. Anyway, it works. Gaz Williams, <laughs> did, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts about the 440-432 debate? Well, it might explain why I've never been able to sing in tune very well. So, uh, <laughs> That's just, that is just not true. <laughs> you can sing perfectly uh, well in tune. I've heard uh, you. But I, well, I don't know if I can, actually. I mean, I think it's, a it's always a struggle. So I might try singing to 432 four, just to see if it's... Um, it's more in tune with the water in your system. Uh, yeah, I did read somewhere about that, that, that people have natural sort of pitches. Ah, you know, okay. Uh, so it might not be 432 in, in my case, but um, it's something that I've not ex actually explored, but I think that would be quite an interesting thing. If um, You might find uh, it varies with your biorhythms, though. Ah, well, yes, that's uh, true. Or if you're a lady at other times of uh, other cycles, you know, that might there, yeah, there may be some truth in that as well. Right. My, uh, I've got a friend. What, uh, oh, sorry. Depending on what <laughs> spirit you're channeling at the uh, particular right. moment. It's on your well. chakra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're definitely getting the Glastonbury thing going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice retort. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to that. You know, I am a Reiki master teacher, you know. So. Really? I, mean, I, I, do, I, I have a certain element of belief in all this stuff, but I do believe that it's relative, and I don't believe that we should ever get 
grounded in any truths. If we get grounded in truths, then we're forever lost. That's my philosophy on it. And ah. always remain open to ideas and always remain open to energies and all that stuff. That's a great, uh, that's a great philosophy to have, Mark. I didn't realise you were a rocky master. That's, that's got to be a show title in there. Yeah. I'm going to look it up now. <laughs> I have seen I reckon, it. I'm a rocky master teacher, in fact. I wow. can teach you to do it if, if you wanted to learn. I need to find out what, uh, what it can mean for me. So anyway, but thank you, Mark. Um, blimey, we've got all four. All four and it's all working. That's astonishing. I'm really surprised and pleased at the same time. Uh, it's an interesting th- set of theories, but that's very true. As you think about it, if, they, if, if all these records are very speeded, when they were playing them all together on, on the radio, surely wouldn't you get these kind of these, ste- these steps and jumps in pitch which make you go, ooh, that sounds a bit uncomfortable, just purely be- because of the relative... Um, uh, intervals between the pitches on the radio that they were being playing. So nothing to do with anything apart from the relationship of it to the last or the next record. Hmm. Hmm. Definitely. Isn't yeah. that what DJs do, though? Yeah, but they don't vary. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah. But I've not say I've noticed. They kind of crossfade from one thing to another and then speed it up after they get to the new tempo or pitch or whatever don't they so mm. well, it's more time stretch now i think with ableton because of all of that other stuff yeah very fascinating stuff and i'm sure there i mean that you know judging by just the number the sheer number of um of tracks there are that have been you know that have been retuned or just on youtube there's just tons of them and somebody's out there just doing it um and i don't know what they're motivation for it is um the lots of them are to do with uh, harmony meditation and transcendental tones and things like that so i'm guessing there must be a resonance in there that you know some people feel are more akin to but yeah fascinating well worth a read um that's if you go to audio web pro sound web sorry and it's a chap called bobby ausinski and uh, i'm pretty sure that was asio head who sent me that uh, if i remember correctly uh, um so thank you for sending that in uh, right um Oh, I guess I should do an ad, because um, it's time. So I'm just going to say thank you to our sponsors. This is uh, Isotope RX3. And in fact, if you wait, there will be a competition winner. This is RX3, an astonishing suite of audio restoration program. Uh, it really does uh, a normal lot. RX3 has just come out. Remove, there's a new modules, Reverb remove reverb and ambience with the new de-reverb technology there's a new real-time dialogue denoiser which allows multiple instances and is very cpu efficient that's in the uh the sort of the higher uh, um, quality version or the the, the 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 pro suite uh but basically you can new tabbed interface allows you to work on multiple documents at the same time so you can compare multiple undos allow you to save documents in formats and then be able to go back so you never miss anything Uh, there's just so many workflow enhancements and i mean really this is kind of pretty much the de facto audio restoration fixing system i mean those of you familiar with the show will know that we've had a long relationship with us and we do very much appreciate them sponsoring the show and uh, if you want to go to rx3 isotope.com forward slash rx3 if i press that ad again then uh, i can put the link up there 10 day trial isotope.com forward slash rx go to it because uh, we know that you'll probably find something in there you can't live without which uh, which will be great for isotope and great for us because it'll prove just how tuned in and switched on you are as an audience and how great we are 
I've got to pay for all this stuff somehow. Anyway, right, next up, uh, this is the iTunes Festival. There was an interesting little video, which rings a a number of issues, actually. But uh, for those who don't know it, there was an iTunes Festival uh, in Camden Town at the Roundhouse, which looks like a great uh, venue. We did some interviews there um, at the Mute Festival, which was some time back. And there was was a gig of this calibre every night for 30 days. Now, I don't know if this is a rig set up for each night or whether this was just for Lady Gaga. Some very big names there and some also some sort of slightly less known ones. Um, and it just looks like a really great lot of fun. But what they actually did was um, create an app that allowed you to um, to view these in real time. So they, they streamed all of them via the app. You can see the app here. Uh, this was a, a free app um, and uh, it was version 4.3 and, you know, you could watch every single day of September. Uh, quite a name Elton John there as well. Um, the... Uh, Unfortunately, custom reviews are saying things like no sound, no sound, no sound, which I'm guessing is not what they were going for. But primarily, I mean, there are two things that this brought up for me. Uh, Rich, actually, you played there, didn't you? Is that right? Thank you. That was the chat room. (laughs) (laughs) I just said, don't tell him. Uh, I just looked. That (laughs) proves that I do actually check the chat room. There you go. Thank you very much, the chat room there. (laughs) I'll switch to that, and you can be able to see. Rich was there too. Thank you, Red Walks. Very much appreciated. And it also gives me the opportunity to throw in my my swanky, transparent lower third there of the chat room. Anyway, Rich, you were there. So... Was it a different setup every night? I suppose you wouldn't know, but I mean, you you were there, so you at least have some experience of it. It must have been, right? Based on it, it was a proper setup for us, and I don't imagine that's a proper setup for anybody but us. Wow. So, I mean, there were two issues there. Did did yours get streamed out via the app as well? I suppose. Yeah, we streamed live. Wow. Do you get any idea of how many sort of what what the kind of take up was from from those listeners? Do you get any sort of feedback? I mean, obviously the people in the audience are probably a sellout. So I'm just wondering how because it just looks to me like the most obvious and clear cut way to move forward. Maybe not just obviously via an iOS app, but via either. Well, we're doing it now, obviously. So I'm obviously a massive evangelist for this kind of thing. But it it, it seems like it's got to be the way forward. Every time you do a gig, you may as well stream it. Surely. Um, Well, there's a lot of technology that goes into being able to, and it would complicate your setup enormously. You're telling me. And increase the cost of doing it tremendously. So the idea of anchoring it to a venue and doing it as a series of nightly concerts makes a lot of sense. The idea of, but what you're describing involves taking it on the road properly. And we've begun that discussion about various things that we would want to bring on the road and do. Uh, Among them would be streaming and or recording multi-track on a nightly basis and there are complications involved in each that on any given night could prevent you from being able to do that yeah i guess that's true i mean that's that makes absolutely perfect sense about doing it at the single venue i mean because of the the the, the, the straight setup i mean because you got your fat yeah it's all down to network and all of those things that make things very complicated unless you take a satellite <clears throat> with you which is 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 possible too um well, were there a costly. lot were there were there a lot of cameras and cameramen there, or was it quite discreet? No, no, it was a broadcast. There wow. were camera guys all over the place. It was it's designed to do what it does. Hmm. It's I wouldn't say the audience is uh, secondary. It's no. like any other major festival, like say for example Glastonbury, where the video crew is given a tremendous amount of latitude, and you've got booms swinging over the audience and all that stuff. Um, and camera people all over the stage, and sometimes you see them in the shots. 
Yeah. And it's fine. It all gives in a sense of uh, immediacy and reality to the thing. And, uh, you know, you try to buddy up to the camera guy as much as possible. They're <laughs> hardworking guys. And, uh, you know, you'd like them to like you. Right. Uh, so you, you, They have nothing to do with what the director is calling. No, and I, I know guess. that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we just all have to work together. And from that level, you know, I'm not really, you know, angling or anything. I'm, there's nobody who really needs to be watching much of what I'm doing. But sure. the uh, it's the point is that they're there, we're there, we're all working together as a team. So that part's easy. It just seems now that, that you know, it's, it's a great, I mean, it must have must have cost a few quid to put on the production. But what, like you say, once it's installed, it absolutely was. I'd love to, uh, just purely from a, how does it relate to the kind of stuff we're doing here, technology point of view, it's probably slightly outside of the scope of music technology. But it's an interesting idea to be watching something live together with a lot of people. It works the same way as Glastonbury when, you know, for instance, when we were watching The Chic performance you know i felt like i was part of something because i knew it was real time it has a different energy doesn't it what do you think gas you think you'd uh, be up for that sort of thing yeah yeah definitely i mean uh it's uh you know it's handy when you've got apple putting a lot of money into into things you know uh and you know the, the the quality of the coverage i thought was very very good um for the shows that I've watched, which I think is only the Chanel Monet one and the Chic one. Um, but it looks fantastic, doesn't it? I mean, it's really, you know, yeah. the, the, way that they ca- the way that they're capturing it does kind of make it very exciting to watch, doesn't it? So, uh, so I think what you're saying is, yeah, I mean, great, but it is a very pricey lot of technology in order to do it. So I just don't know how common that's going to become it's surprising i mean it's surprising to me that they made it free to end users i mean i guess it's a massive marketing sort of thing i know did did you watch any of it yeah yeah i watched some of it but also when you're watching things you know there's a direct link to the itunes store to buy stuff you know so i guess that it's uh okay there will be some sort of revenue that they gain that way um That'll probably uh, ensure that uh, Apple do, gives the takedown notice for that this particular show then, because it's got a bit of their their property in it. <laughs> but I guess it can't be helped. It's news, isn't it? After all. Um, but yeah, Dave. Yeah, interesting. It's funny actually because Underworld were the first band that uh, Apple streamed QuickTime live from some gig in America, and the bandwidth got completely crippled within. 30 seconds of it going on and uh, by all accounts it was Steve Jobs who went in and went all the bandwidth we can give them go and all of a sudden it worked so this is obviously the logical extension what I thought was kind of interesting is that I've done numerous gigs where all of a sudden it's going to be televised and there would be an issue with certain players not signing away their rights for that gig whereas this kind of completely gets around that doesn't it but like Rich said, you know, this would work, you know, in this instance, it would work perfectly because you've got time to set it up and iron out all the problems and you've got one set up for a multitude of artists. Uh, I think if you were touring it, it may be difficult. I was asked to get involved in a company a few years ago called Phone Cert, and that was all about uh, taking a feed from the desk and uploading it live and stuff like that. And actually, I was quite interested but the more we looked at it, the 3G stuff was all very patchy at a load of venues. You know, they were kind of yeah. out of town. And in fact, I seem to remember going to one 
a venue not that far from here which had just been built and there was no Wi-Fi in the place at all and people were just like oh, ha, ha. how are we going to communicate with the outside world so yeah no interesting very interesting but the, the thing I found particularly interesting was also just the the amount of rigging and de-rigging on a you know the turnover of getting the stuff in and out of there just stage managing the logistics of it I mean Mark you've worked on a Oh, Mark's gone. I won't. Uh, I, won't bring him in. <laughs> I can see that he's no away from the camera. I mean, just the logistics of doing that on, on, on turning around that number of people and, and, and things at the same time just seems uh, incredibly difficult. Mark, I mean, you know, we've done video, we've done video um, festivals and what have you. I mean, have you done anything? Have you t- been involved in gigs where you've gone in and it's been a series of gigs like that and, and just been able had to tech it in any particular way? Not so much. Not not haven't been involved in anything modern enough for it to have been streaming to the net. I think maybe one thing in America. Well, li- live bro- I mean, live broadcast has got the same. You know, I mean, whatever well, the media broadcast is meant. I mean, once once it gets to festival level and there's cameramen running around. I mean, Rich is obviously being very polite because he's still doing that job. But they do have a nickname uh, backstage with the sound crews and they're known as vidiots because they tend to tangle everybody up in these huge great big heavy cables and knock things over and kind of go crashing around only worried about the picture and and uh, it makes it very difficult for the band and let's hope i never have to go on a stage again probably punch me. <laughs> i think it's a valid point i, mean, I think rich was being way more um um what's the word tactful than than you know than uh, than giving a full picture of what it's like to be on stage with a video group. Yeah, and no, I suppose uh, Mac Doctor says in the chat room, um, hello, Tony, um, the kit is much smaller and lighter than it used to be, so re-dig, rig, de-rig is much faster, which I'm guessing uh, is, to a certain degree, very true. But what the lots Well, of- maybe those huge cables are no longer being dragged around by massive cameras there. Do they, so they usually, well, usually now, um, well, there's lots and lots of uh, wireless and short-range um, broadcasting technology, so you might well have cameras on uh, un, a non-wired connections, so they're kind of, they're just lugging big batteries around, so that's possible as well, but I'd imagine... And I suppose what, another problem is that the video guys have no idea what the choreography of the show is if they haven't seen the show before, so if they don't realise that a musician's about to go running across the stage waving a guitar about and they stand in front of that and and mess up the queue then it's pro- probably not their fault i suppose I no suppose that's a I... good that's a good point i hadn't thought about that i suppose that that may may well happen um i but yeah it's like missing it's that classic thing isn't it where um where there's the guitar solo and they're just focusing on the bassist and, <laughs> and it's like the real close-up of the bassist as fingers. it should be <laughs> as it should be <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, that's true. That's true enough. But that's the director's call. Yeah, of that course. That's to do with the guy getting but, the shot. Yeah, no, that's I true. I, want to be, I mean, I think when I read the, the news piece, I wanted to be positive about it because I think that Apple are probably making more money out of the music industry than anyone else at the moment, and it's good to see them putting something back and making something work for the musicians and making something work for the fans. So was, I wanted to go and see Jesse J last year, and I couldn't get tickets, so I applied for them. But I, as far as I know, you don't have to pay for tickets either. You can apply for a pair of tickets. Is that right? Ah, no, I didn't know that. Just That's put a... in a request for two tickets, up to two tickets per person. You just say, I'd like to go to that show. And then if they think you're 
you know, a suitable Worthy. audience member, perhaps, and not what? a 50-year-old man at a Jesse J concert, which is possibly a bit weird. <laughs> well, uh, well, more likely, I'd imagine, it's whether or not you've got a, a, an active iTunes account, uh, rather cynically. Oh, what if I've bought loads of her stuff? Yeah, I suppose I have. Well, I've only bought Ed Sheeran then, so that's that, and some classical music. Ah, well, there you go. So you've blown it. You want to st- get 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 by some Jesse J, and you might get a chance to see her then. You never know. Uh, interesting though. I, I like the idea, but I mean, I like the idea of it. Just uh, the, in that time lapse video that I was playing, I mean, just the level of activity that was going on, and I don't know whether whether that was the initial rig for the entire run of concerts or whether that happened every single day. I was just thinking, Jesus, if that's every single day, that is some serious coordination to make that happen. But yeah, I, I, every year, and it's uh, it's an interesting idea for sure. Um, okay, well, we got a couple other things. I, I think. Um, Perhaps I know what we're going to do. I think we'll do the. Uh, there's a new machine studio, so maybe we should do that because um, you know it's a new machine studio, isn't it? And I know Gaz has got a machine, so let's play a video. I think I can safely play this one because this is what's called promotional video. So yes, is the news that uh, Nave Instruments released a machine studio, and I actually heard. I, I got to see it. Like, um, at BPM um, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, before they did the launch, they took me off to a quiet spot and opened the box and said, look, that's what it is. What do you think? And uh, I, I didn't get it to, to see it switched on, but those screens do look particularly lovely, I must say. They're rather disappointed not to see an audio interface on it, um, but that does look amazing. I don't think I'll play the entire thing, because um, you can watch that yourself and, at your own leisure on, on the interwebs. But yeah, Gaz, I'm guessing are you are you the most excited of our panel about the um about machine two? Um well I'm modelling the Mark One here. Uh I I think it's interesting in that um well, a few things. Uh, um I think it's really good that this new version is fully backwards compatible with every model of machine so far. Uh, so I think kudos to the, the software you mean, right? The, sorry, the software. Right. Sort of, yeah. So machine two is the software machine studio is that physical piece of hardware. So the fact that the, uh, that the machine two software is backward compatible, I think is really good because, uh, it, you know, they could have just maybe dropped it, but I think that, um, that they've maintained that, I'm, I'm I'm really quite pleased about. Uh, the hardware is quite interesting in that um, I I don't think fundamentally the changes are that huge. A lot of the 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 editing bit on the right hand side, which has got the jog wheel, uh, essentially that functionality is in the existing machine, but you have to do it via some uh like shift holding down shift and then hitting pads for for various ones where it now got dedicated buttons uh, and also the uh, the jog wheel itself uh, you could do some things like that you could go into the select mode you could then hold down and make it go to events hold it down shift and you know it's stuff that you could do, but it was a bit archaic, really. So right. I think that uh, I think for people who are into the machine way of doing things, I think uh, I think they'd be able to 
go on to this very quickly and be able to adapt uh, what they already know. I think a lot of the key things are still in the same place. So I think it's I think it's quite an interesting idea that they've just taken something that's already working quite well and just enhanced it um, rather than completely reinventing it. Um, but uh, I'm still waiting to see exactly what the software uh, is going to bring to the party. I know that there's, um, uh, I know that there's some very cool things like uh, uh, the the groups are now unlimited, so you could do. Yeah, I think that's going to make uh, a big difference, I guess, to uh, to a lot of people because yeah. you can get some much more yeah. complex um, stuff going on there, can't you? That's right, and also there's a dedicated mix window as well. So I think being able to be more just working in you know in the standalone software mode rather than running it as a VST, it becomes a lot more. Looks like it, it'll be a uh, that that'll be more satisfying. I think I think that that is true in because um, you're getting more control over the sequencer well the 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 way uh things look like, like in the machine as it's the existing machine uh something that's always frustrated me is that when when you're in play the the the, the screen doesn't update so you have to sort of navigate the screen ah right now uh, it chases and so the, well, that's, now, it, now it chases right, that, that's, those are the sort of things uh, that but i mean uh, I, I, it, it's sort of you know it's about a grand you know a thousand thousand euros kind of kind of thing and it's still you know it seems that they're missing this opportunity to give it audio interface and integrate further it's, yeah. it seems to be yeah. you know essentially because it's it's a piece of uh, software and a control mm-hmm. service right i think that's a an enormous uh, m- you know mistake to leave out the audio interface the uh, the main competitor to the uh, native instruments machine is the uh, Akai uh, MPC Renaissance, which does have an audio interface built into it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that Native Instruments' reasoning is that most people will have audio interfaces already, and also perhaps having the unit where you like it with a minimal amount of cables hanging off it may be an influence. But saying that, they put a whole bunch of MIDI sockets on it now, so that would contradict that idea. Yeah, three more. Uh, yeah. Well, two more. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah don't know why they did even if it was just a headphone socket and a stereo out or just you know yeah just like a, something or other but for me the big thing that I'd have loved to have seen on it is a way you know to sample into it I mean it you know the the new screens look fantastic for the sample editing uh, that that really looks like what. Uh, um, what you really enjoy, I think it looks like highly really getting in there and tweaking the samples. Mm. So it seems a bit of a shame not to be able to sample. Yeah, I know. I, I think you're absolutely right, Rich. You've uh, you've you've had machine or had uh, um, had um, dealings with it, right? Does this thing look like it's an improvement? Yes, it does. And uh, the first most noticeable improvement is that unlimited number of groups thing, or expanding the number that you were able to create before. But um, yeah. Great product, great product line. People love it. I understand why. I don't use it all the time. I was using it in software the other day, actually. I do use it fairly often in software. Is that, beca- is that because of the library and the access to it, or is it because of the software? Yeah, yeah but I also use battery these days as well. And yeah. uh like them both for what they do. And 
Somehow when I'm not using the hardware interface for machine, if I'm just like dialing it up on screen, battery is in some ways, the new battery in particular is a little quicker for me. Now I would look at this again because I really like the look of this software and I can see the, even the, just the graphical changes they've made uh, make sense to me. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the thing that looks, you know, again, it's, it's focused on, seems to be focused on the kind of beats type of thing. I mean, Dave, you're a, you're a drummer at heart. I don't see a machine or anything like that around the place. I mean, what, what is it with all these synthesizers? When come you haven't got any beats making stuff and it's all analog drum machines? You can't hit them. Uh, I have, actually. I've got two, two Simmons. Ah, yes. The SCS5 and the SCS7. But also, I've created drum sounds out of synth stuff. So, for me, I don't know. It's not really applicable for me. Although, I did like the look of that, the two screens. Yeah, it does look Although, nice. Yeah, again, if I'm connecting it to a computer, then the computer's going to have a screen. I, I certainly agree with what Gaz says. It would be nice to be able to sample into a machine. It always makes me laugh when... These things are called samplers, particularly in software, and yet you, you can't, can't sample. sample straight into it. Yeah. So I quite like that. I, I do miss the sort of immediacy of old school sampling. Um, but yeah, no, sorry, I haven't really looked at this too deeply. I just kind of skimmed the video and thought, oh, that looks quite sexy. How long has it been since the previous machine? Um, Mark II, I think, came out at the beginning of last year. Is that right, Gaz? Have you got a Mark I or a Mark II? Yeah, I got, I've got a Mark One, which I got last year, and I got it because it was quite heavily reduced, I guess, because the Mark II was just around the corner. So I think the Mark II came out, I think it was about a year ago, I think. Right, okay. Uh, so not long. No. Um, they're, they're very excited about it anyway, and quite rightly so, because it's a big deal for, uh, you know, it's quite a lot of investment, as we've seen with Ableton as well. You know, it's a big deal to get your ducks all in a row to be able to bring out, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, hardware to, to, to deal with your software as well. And, like, you know, as we've seen with Ableton, with the push, um, I don't know whether that's even still coming in in great numbers. So, I mean, I'm hoping um, this won't be the case with, there's going to be a huge demand for this. I mean, people are sort of gagging for it, I'm sure, so... So yeah, it does. It does seem the price point, though. I mean, it's gone up enormously, hasn't it? I mean, it's gone right. up by four hundred pounds oh. or something, or right, it's, or three hundred pounds. It's a it's a huge it's a huge price hike. Uh, so whether that's going to affect people, mm. you know, because you know, essentially paying a thousand pounds or near to it for a controller and a piece of software is kind of getting that's getting quite pricey then um, well in fact it does it, it, it means that people why people could have bought the uh, imposco controller really couldn't they because it's a similar similar investment but more hardware <laughs> in in a lot of ways i still maintain it's, it's, it's the update thing for yeah. me i'm not sure how i would feel having spent you know a thousand quid and then a year later something's yeah well that's just the nature of it. it's the la- it's that landfill technology uh, uh, line that was pushed from last week which was a great yeah. a, a great line. um i'm guessing uh, you uh, agree with that sentiment mark i am against landfill technology it drives me absolutely nuts and um i'm trying to rearrange my rig in ways which mean that stuff won't go in landfill and that stuff will be as useful as <sighs> i don't know Dave's got a room full of 30 and 40 year old synthesizers and I want anything that I buy to be as useful in 30 or 40 years time as it is now when I buy it. Could you imagine trying to find the software and stuff to make that work in even 10 years time? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Actually, So yeah. it really is just, it's literally, it's going to, it's sort of going to die and go away, isn't it? 
Well, ultimately, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, as uh, Omnipol says in the chat room, don't forget the core disaster. Yes, that's true. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean... But then, uh, but then, I mean, I suppose that some of it is about finding the tools that work for you and can uh, get your music output happening, I suppose. And um, I've, I've noticed that having layouts in certain ways uh, make me more productive and certain things make me less productive. So whenever I've got a keyboard around me with full-size keys on it, I always get a lot more productive, even though I'm a MIDI guitarist. So and right. I need to address that issue at the moment because I don't have a keyboard with full-size keys around me. Um, and it doesn't have to be five octaves because I'm not a musician. <laughs> I'm not a traditional keyboard player. But, I mean, it may be... Uh, I don't know. If I could input notes and I could play notes on it, it might be interesting. Mike Gregg who's not here this week, but is on here occasionally, showed me Ableton Push a couple of weeks ago and showed me what he can do with it, and it absolutely blew my mind. Ah, no, interesting. Doing, and, then he, and then he plugged a MIDI controller, footboard controller, into Ableton and was doing something with that. So I've bought a, I bought a Line 6 MIDI footboard controller, yesterday i think that should be arriving soon and i want to see if i can sort of play the guitar and punch in and out of loops in ableton and try you should be able to yeah yeah great that sounds brilliant i mean speaking of that i was talking before the show about the setup here and it's like you know the thing the, the computer that is streaming this show the, the pc in it that's that's uh, uh streaming it and recording is one of the very first dell uh, multi-quad core computers and i reckon that's got to be seven or eight years old at least so, you know, um, computing does have a love. Oh, right. It just depends on the architecture. And, you know, the, the other part that's do that's the video play out and what have you, that's a Mac Pro that's at least five years old. So, you know, it is possible yeah. to survive and thrive with uh, ancient computers. <laughs> In I mean, some I ways. suppose the thing is, what we do as musicians is we keep upgrading, 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 and we're following this upgrade path. But maybe what we need to learn is that we need to keep the old stuff as well and not devalue it. I mean, there's some guy... Uh, round here posted on the Glastonbury notice board, Mac G4 power PC with a screen and mouse and everything for sale for uh, 45 quid, I think it was. So I'm like thinking that's kind of crazy money, but, uh, but that's what they're worth, aren't they? I mean, a Mac yeah. G4 is worth, power PC is worth about five quid now, so the most valuable part of what he was offering is probably the screen. Yeah, new bus, new the tool and not the fact that it can't be upgraded, then then maybe we tie these things together as systems and, and own them as systems in the same way that we would own a JX3P and a programmer or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a very valid point. But it does look tasty. Uh, going to be available November 1st. Um, and you'll be able to buy it. And I think you can... Uh, yeah, existing owners will be able to upgrade to Machine 2, I believe, uh, if I look down here. It's $99. Is it 99, uh, 99 bucks? Euros. Uh, okay, I think there's the information down here, which uh, may or may not be visible on your screen right now. Okay, um, we did miss this last week, and I don't know if people want to cover the, um, ten, the, the most underrated synths topic. Uh, because I know it was very much um, something that was, it was, it was very, people were very disappointed we didn't get around to it. But as you know, last week, my technology was, it was a disaster. In fact, the same thing happened this week, and I discovered what to do this. Now, because it happened last week, basically when I booted up the streaming machine, I said, what, what streaming hardware? I don't know what you're talking about. 
but a power cycle and there it was again saved me whereas last week I was reinstalling and <laughs> doing all of that stuff power cycle is the way to go um, so we could do that if, if people are interested the top 10 most underrated synths uh, this was according to um, Attack I don't know if everybody had a chance to look at this I'm pretty sure it was in the topics last week uh, and I did yep. sort of throw it back in but I, and I forgot to put it back in again so I hope it hasn't thrown any of you out this is on Attack magazine which is actually a great um, resource they've got some really good interviews and all sorts of things and this is uh um you know basically where you could find um synths that were underrated i haven't looked at all of them but i think uh, ms10 hmm, interesting i know somebody uses a lot of ms10s what have we got we've got ms10 we've got uh the waldorf pulse um very topical because the pulse 2 just come out ah the insonic esq1 uh and have i missed one it's very uh, jx3p as you said mark uh, did i miss one Yes, DX100. That's actually quite a nifty synth. DX100. Uh, Omaha Matrix 1000. Yes, another. There was a... Um, was that related to the Matrix 6, I believe? Uh, it is a Matrix 6. It's a Matrix 6 without the front panel. Oh, that looks nice. Exactly. That's the that's the Studio Electronics ATC1. And what have we got here? Ah, oh, CS15. Oh, I have a CS15, so I can feel kind of smug about that. It's the only thing I have got that's in this list. Uh, Juno 2 and of course Lovely. the Moog Prodigy not seeing the cat in there Dave all no, the kids rare isn't it uh, I, I suppose underrated yeah. but yeah and anything any, did you do you concur with any of that I didn't get a chance to read all this it's actually not a badly put together article um, what do you think certainly the CS15 I think that's a great great little synth I've got a 30 over the other side which I love and use uh, a lot actually uh, and the 15 obviously there's no sequencer and stuff like that but the 15 I always thought was a kind of really good nice entry level but still really versatile it's uh, a great yeah I use I, I uh, when I got the CS15 I had it for a while it, it was sort of it was wasn't really ever given to me someone lent it to me a very very long time ago and it had never asked for it back we sort of fell out so I, I, I don't know whether I've just taken it as payment for falling out or uh, anyway, it's a complicated, but it actually, it's got a great sound. Those dual filters, that Blade Runner sound, the, the brassy kind of CS80 kind of lead that it does that, but it's a very specific setting you need to get. And when I first discovered that, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't think you could get that with something so cheap or so low cost. So uh, some good stuff in there. Um, I don't know, Rich. Got any? Was there anything not in there yeah, that you the think? Yeah, the SY ones and twos are good. Are the uh, the Yamahas? Are they yeah, Yamaha? yeah, very, very GX. Yeah, no, go on, go, Rich, because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> well, in almost every case, the synth pointed to something else in their line that I thought was more legendary, more wonderful. And more worthy, uh, I, I, underrated. I'm not sure how do you call a synthesizer underrated, because I find that some people will relate almost anything as a really highly coveted synth, and I mean that is almost as cynically as it sounds. No, um, I don't really mean it to be so cynical, but it's true. People, you know, what makes something underrated? I have, a, I had a hard time with this list. No, very few of those synths meant much to me. Ah, okay. I like the DX7. I thought the DX100. Well, I used the DX100 and I enjoyed it. And for the money and the fact that it was a four op uh, FM synth, it was fun and you could get around on it and do some cool stuff. 
Um, so that was one that I actually had some personal relationship with. But when you say MS-10, I'm thinking MS-20. Now, is the MS-10 more underrated than the MS-20? I guess maybe so, because it's got the MS-20. But, you know, then how about the micro Moog, as apart from the multi Moog or the, you know, Liberation or what have you? Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Rogue was cool because they sold it at Radio Shack, and they tried. They actually tried to sell synthesizers out of Radio Shack. They, I think, they gave it a different name, but it was essentially a Rogue. Um, and I, I don't know. There's uh, the Matrix synths point to me to the Matrix six and twelve, which were fa absolutely groundbreaking, wonderful synths and fun to operate. And the Matrix one thousand, I found somewhat confounding, but it sounded pretty good. It's the same electronics. It was a preset machine. It had Matrix about a thousand presets, and yeah. that was the nature. Yeah, it sounded pretty but good, but it wasn't. It wasn't yeah, that much fun to it operate. With CISX, you could, yeah, you CISX. could tweak the Matrix yeah. thousand. If you had the Doctor T's Atari ST editor, you could do exactly the same with it as a Matrix six, because I had the Matrix six in a rack. And then I got a Matrix 1000 and went, it's smaller and easier to cart about. I don't need that big thing. I can have this small thing. Well, there wasn't anything that you could... There wasn't very little you could do on the front of a Matrix 6, as I recall. It had a data slider. That was about it, wasn't it? No, yeah, well, you could get at all the parameters. Yes, but only by one data slider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, you, well, you couldn't do that on the Matrix Thousand, really, could you? Um, well, uh, yeah. I, I don't actually, know. if you're talking about the Matrix Thousand stuff, the... Cheetah did a thing called an MS6, which oh, was actually as yeah. good as. Yeah, that was great. I used and that that's a lot. That's really un underrated. Horrible. Ho yeah, do you know what? See, I, think all the, I think the underrated synths are really the, uh, the weirdly branded things. So there was a Matrix 1000 in a white face unit that was branded as something else, but I can't remember. Oh, Oberheim. It was the Oberheim. It was, a, yeah. it was an Oberheim thing. Because it's branded as something. Well, then, and then there's the home keyboard versions of all the Roland synths. So the Alpha Juno and the Juno had something called an HS60, I think. That was the 106. Did, it had all the that same the control panels, but it had speakers on the ends yeah. of it. So it did exactly the same thing with speakers, and everyone went, huh, oh, that's a home organ. I do so like if that. If you wanted one. to go out and buy an Alpha Juno 2 at the time when I liked them, they were like three or four hundred quid. But if you went and bought the speaker equivalent, you could get one for a hundred quid. Uh, and when you plug it in, it sounds exactly the same. So to me, that would be an underrated synth because people right. don't realize that it's got the same sonic power and potential as the bigger thing. That's um, a good. I, I, I think speakers on synths is generally PX. underrated. No, speakers on what? synths are underrated. Well, you've got to look at the Volker range, they've got speakers now. I wonder if they'll be future classic. Uh, but going back to the the, uh, the Cheetah MS6, I used MS6 all over um, uh, the record I made, and I remember it went wrong, and I sent it to the Northern Synthesizer Service Centre, uh, who promptly went bankrupt, and I never got it back, and I was gutted. I was gutted, because you could run that as uh, a six-voice, or you could run it as a four voice and a two voice or six one voices it was really quite complicated actually and had i mean it was a nightmare to program it had like a three character led and uh, it was just awful to to play but you uh, and it had lo but it had loads of uh, controller mappings which were quite new at the time so you could control you could map controls for, to filter to all sorts of things you could do an awful yeah. lot with it which you you know was groundbreaking for the time so yeah i would agree with you there dave I think you, you've got a call on the, the, the Cheetah MS6. I don't know, Gaz, anything, any, do you agree with any of those stuff? Um, yeah, it's, it is a little bit of a 
yeah. arbitrary list in a way, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, you could put all sorts of things on there. I mean, I, I could imagine the DJX being on there, the oh, Yamaha. Yeah. I've got that. Toy, oh, toy yeah. keyboard. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. They're really good, aren't they? And, yeah. Uh, you know, um, all over Black uh, Cherry, that is. That's all the drum, most of the drum sounds. <laughs> really? A lot of them, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. So, uh, JX3P. Yeah, I... JX3P, that was in there, wasn't it? Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was, I mean, uh, who's it? Um, Precom Sprout, mate. He used that loads. One of his brilliant quotes was, I'm trying to be Pablo Picasso with the JX3P, which I thought was hilarious at the time. But actually, it's got a very, very recognisable sound. You can hear it on some Dolby stuff. You can hear it on their stuff. Quite interesting. A complete nightmare uh, in terms of MIDI implementation and a right pain in the arse unless you've got the controller. But a great little sequencer. Ah, okay. And if you've got a controller and you switch the little switch on the back to the controller, then all the MIDI stops working, right? So you can't actually tweak anything while the MIDI's running, if I remember rightly. Oh, nice. I'm sure sure there's there's a sort of an 8-pin connector for the PG200 that goes in the back and a little switch that goes either program or MIDI. <laughs> it's quite so interesting. Then when you want you, you've got your Roland. sequence line running and you want to twist through some sweeps with the filter, it's like, uh, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's a shame. That's a poor, poor design, yeah. I think no, that, that whole era with Roland was quite interesting because I believe they had two R&D centers. They had one in uh, Tokyo and one in Osaka, and they, were, and they both kind of competed with each other, which is why you had very different instruments coming out of different oh, right. places. Ah, Oh, right, See, okay. I always preferred the JX3P. Uh, uh, around the same the time. And the JX3P was one of those. Ah. Yeah. I was mad much money better now. than the Junos. Everyone always swore by the Junos. And I, I really liked the JX3P and the JX8P. And they had a different, a whole different way of doing it, didn't they? They had an oscillator, a sub-oscillator, whereas on the Junos, it was the, oh God, uh, the other way around. I think, but I want to put a case forward for the Yamaha not Yamaha, Akai AX and VX since because they were way ahead of their time in that you could connect a 13 pin cable between a, an S900, S612 yeah. or an S900 as well and then you could play all of the samples you'd made through the analogue filters and then that's kind of where synthesis went after that wasn't it, we suddenly got it sample playback synthesis and resonant filters and but that that sound was sort of available but in a warmer kind of a way uh it, uh, it in fact you know it, the, there was the the profit vs which had digital oscillators and curtis filters and you could get a much more interesting sound if you hooked that akai sampler up to the vx range you could just get some really great sounds out of it hmm. i remember playing with the uh the VX, which is a mono, was it a little mono synth? I forget now. It was like a rack mono, and it just it didn't it didn't sound. I don't remember it so sounding. It was polyphonic. The, uh, the VX eighty, I think, was it VX eighty? I can't it remember. Polyphonic. Okay, interesting. Little known fact that Akai did actually make some synthesizers. I mean, it was um, yeah, but AX sixty seventy three. Uh, who's that in the chat room? That's uh, uh, Sonic nine four three three one AX AX sixty AX seventy three. 80 and VX90. VX90. 
I think that's what I had, a VX90. Right, OK. So that should have made it on the list, according to saying, well, that's fair enough, I think. It should be on that list. But especially as nobody really knows what they are and they go for really reasonable money. Hmm. Or used to. <laughs> that's the problem. Damn it. I was thinking about <laughs> buying one as well, and I've shot myself. Yeah, well, well, you've blown it now, <laughs> unless you've got one actually en route. You're, you're kind of, it's, no, it's all over. <laughs> Uh, it's an interesting topic, though. Um, but you're right, Rich. I mean, it's so it's so subjective, isn't it? I mean, you can't really sort of say one way or the other. It's down to the individual. And um, but that individual, uh, like I said, on Attack Magazine, uh, well worth checking out. Um, they've got some great stuff on the site. Generally, um, I've added it to my um, to my RSS feed. I think they've done a recent one, which is the most expensive since. Oh, there you go. Ah, there we go. Yeah, the, the gear list, the world's most expensive since. Ah, you can't beat a good list article for page and views. For a minute, <laughs> there's like a big picture of Tonto, and for a minute I thought it was for sale. <laughs> got Absolute bargains. Got very excited. Oh, yeah, and they Is did this. next week's show, Dave? We're going to see Tonto behind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I well, I mean, you can't go a week without having a new acquisition, Dave, surely. Uh, absolutely not. No, we've got... Uh, three this week bloody hell i bought i bought two mac minis which is uh that's one of them and that's the other one you're on you're actually hosted on one of them and gaz is on the other so there you go that's two mac two mac minis for 400 quid i think it was a bargain wow that's good yeah and they uh they run everything so uh, that's fine um I'd, I'd give you twice that for dave and gaz <laughs> I'll see what I can get for them. I'm working on sponsorship. Maybe I should. Maybe that's it. I, I'm, I'm thinking things in the wrong terms. Rather than selling sponsorship on the show, I should just sell sponsorship on a panelist. <laughs> so you we can have an auction. <laughs> you can do a protection bracket on me. Mark won't say anything bad about your product if you give me a hundred pounds <laughs> a week. Yeah, great idea. Hard to sell though. I, mean, I need someone to go around with uh, with with the, the heavies. Um, I wanted to finish uh, just because there was some. Uh, I found this on Stereo Clang, which is a great blog, another great blog. And this was um, some stuff for the. Uh, this is uh, some brownie points for the Buchler, and this is the Buchler Easel. Uh, I think this is right. If I press, yeah, this is uh, the Buchler Easel, and I need to actually uh, just play a little bit of that. And this was uh, posted by um, Todd Barton. And I'm guessing this is one of the new Buchlers, possibly. But it sounded... I just thought it sounded fantastic. And it starts to make some actual musical sounds. So, I'm again, you know, I'm willing to uh, change my change my thoughts on what the Buchler easel or uh, any Buchler synthesizer is capable of. But what I didn't really understand... I'm, 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 I want to try and get one in for review when they become remade, just because I'm just fascinated by the multiple paths and sequences that seem to be able to be derived out of this because there's very what seems to be on the surface of it very little audio controllers going on um, let me see if I can can I fast forward that I might be able to I'll have to come up here and make a bit more space for it oh, there we go I think there's some audio sequencing going on or oh, maybe I've broken it oh, there we go yeah all starts to happen for some reason it won't it won't fast forward so i'll i'll skip that but uh, yeah that uh, have you ever touched it it's it's got the same appeal as the Cynthia AKS to me actually dave you haven't got one of those yet have you i think you're missing out what AKS no not the AKS a a, a Buchler easel uh, no, and I'd really, really like one. I think the price is really good. I've been offered two 200Es in the last month, and it's just a little 
well, quite a lot too much money. Uh, I've played 100 years ago, uh, which by all accounts is absolutely insane money now. Uh, but the 200, yeah, I was kind of tempted, but this easel for the money, I think, is... Uh, I've could, got. I think I've got. Could be the one that I'm missing. I can, I can see that. The Noisebug have got them. Uh, they're going to be about three thousand seven hundred bucks. That's brand new. Summer. Which summer. Ain't bad. No, it's not bad. It I know we're going to get loads of people going. Oh yeah, but it's not as good as the original and all the rest of it. But no. it doesn't matter. I really don't think it matters in this case. Does that close up like a suitcase as well? Absolutely does, Mark. Oh. Yeah, you know, you it's know what I'm saying. Colors as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love d- things with bright colors and flashing. I'm lights liking the look of that a lot. But like, is it actually released yet? Is it available? Because I keep hearing conflicting. I, 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 no, I, I don't think it did come out in summer yet. I mean, the the thing that uh, was very amusing there was a. I don't know if he. Sh- I, I didn't shoot the the piece with these, but the, I forget the name of the chap who was the sort of current uh, head of engineering who was going to be making it in conjunction, obviously, with uh, serious input from Don Buchler. And uh, there was something he wistfully said, "Oh yes, Don is very very uh, specific about how it has to be done," and it just sounded like behind the lines. I was like, "It's an absolute nightmare <laughs> to get to to be exactly how he wants it." And, and yeah, but rightly so. I mean, it's his kind of brand and getting it all right. So I'm guessing. I, I don't- think that really cool thing about something like this is and we've talked about this you know with mark and their sold landfill technology this is something that i think you will still have and it will be usable in 20 30 years time it is such a beautiful object uh, I, i'm just having i'm having this i'm having this sort of fantasy about you know when you go to a car boot sale and you see like those uh, injection molded cases you know, you just see like suitcases oh, and stuff yeah. like that, and you and you look at you open up, think, oh, I wonder what's in there, and it's like you know, just a bunch of paper or it's empty or something. Imagine opening one up and finding one of them in it. <laughs> that would <laughs> be mean, very cool. Ooh, that wouldn't that be nice? It would be just absolutely lovely. Um, but yeah, it's still a lot of money, but I'm liking. I, I, I'm just liking the look of it a lot, definitely. But I do think if you spread it out over the years, you probably uh, what the payments. You know, well yeah yeah exactly all of it you know if you look back on it if you still running it in 20 years time and you're going actually that was a good investment because i'm still making use of that it's not been superseded by the booklet music easel two or three or four you know it will still be as valid well omnipol's saying um it has digital it has digital components they die i don't know if that's necessarily the case they must they must have to really because some of the things in there are well maybe that's one of the issues you know maybe they're making this stuff and to make it the way they want it they can't get it into europe because it doesn't it doesn't go past the ce um certification that's entirely possible and in fact that's that's an issue that's come up a couple of times with uh uh andrea schneider and the, they they launched that alex for uh, Alex Four um, distribution company just to work with uh, European stuff because uh, some of the American uh, manufacturers because they don't have to adhere to those standards you know they they're not able to come into to Europe you know and it's it re- would require considerable redesign on certain components so I don't know whether that's that's a factor it could certainly certainly be I don't know um, Rich have you you had an easel that sounds like there no. should be a rhyming slang easel weasel <laughs> Something or other. No, I haven't. I no, haven't. I, I can just see one, like, in the back of your room, you know, just open there, and the case, I think it would go really nicely. Maybe I can get them to sponsor the show, and they can just send us four or five. 
And then we're done. You could do like, um, he's all good, he's Ebony's all good. <laughs> Mark, you're a marketing genius. I think you should pitch it to him. I, know, I, can, I, I can put you in touch with Mr. Uh, Mr. Olesh, who's uh, head of SM Pro Audio, and I think they, they've, uh, they've got uh, significant holdings in the new uh, Bookler. Um, oh, fabulous. We'll see can what I we can... Yeah, absolutely. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I wanted to finish, though, with uh, because this was, again, this was going, because I, I discovered the music of Alessandro Cortini recently, and it really blew my mind. And I think, I suspect, or I know, he's a big proponent of uh, the uh, Buchler stuff, and he's got uh, a band called uh, Sonorio. Uh, I don't know if I've pronounced that right at all. A couple of albums, um, and they're just absolutely brilliant. As I said, I think before when I discovered, I, I just don't understand how these mixes have gone together. It just, it, 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 they're, they're very intense in the mid ranges and what have you. But so I'll, I'll do a play out with that. But um, perhaps for now, um, we can we can leave it as is because I've got to go and uh, head home and do all those family things. So I want to say thank you to everybody for joining us. It's been. A pleasure. And we managed to sustain four live guests. There they are. One, two, three, four. Each with their own um, Skype machine. So that's that's good news. And I managed to play some stuff. Oh, what's that? You got a new T-shirt there, Moog T-shirt. Well, that's what you were saying about sponsoring. And I used a Sharpie and I ruined a perfectly good T-shirt and you cut away from me. So, uh... oh. <laughs> But the thing is, now it's in HD. We can see all those little product places. I'm terribly sorry about that. That's the other problem with this, because I'm only looking at the current shot. I have to look over there to see all the other ones. I need to maybe figure uh, out where, where my What's It does goes. But anyway, I want to say thanks to everybody. I'll come to you, uh, Mr. Moog. Uh, Mr. Moog, Moog Williams. Gaz Moog Williams at songsurgeon.co.uk. Yeah. Oh, Thank you for actually, joining. Actually, you can scrap that. I've got, a new, I've got a new website. I've just launched it. It's gazwilliams.me. Ah, uh, okay. So, I will... Uh, well, uh, if we'll I do that, that next time. I can will. I just... Uh, can I just get... Can I drum up some interest? It's only a, it's like a blog uh, blog website, and uh, I'm just going to put that. Gazwilliams.me. Oh, there it goes. Yeah, I'd love it. Say, if I'll spell it. To... Right. I could probably spell it properly. That would probably help. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'd love it if uh, people went and and it's a it's a blog site, so I want to try and get people kind of interacting with it. So uh, please. There we go. Gazwilliams.me. Thank there. you very much. So go along there. Thanks, Gaz. And Dave Spears, thank you for joining us. I know you said you were recovering from a bit of a cold. It's that time of year, isn't it? After the summer, they all start to come out. It's when people start going out and, and interacting with other people in rooms. That's the beauty of this, you see. We never yeah, have to actually to exchange any air. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I went to London and it was on the underground and I was like, I know I'm going to come down with some... Oh, anyway. God, yeah. I went, I went to London. I had to go across London uh, on Monday, actually. Um, uh, went to see Korg. Uh, in fact, I got a great. I, I might show you this. Uh, this. Uh, I can't say why I was there, but when I got there, uh, there was this brilliant. Um, let's see if I can find it. I took a photo of it because it made me feel so important. Uh, let's see if I can hold it up. Uh, I'll have to get, I'll have to switch it to uh, autofocus. Go on. and back to autofocus there we go come on ah i'm back into focus now anyway um yes so thanks very much dave dave spears Uh, sorry can i just ask one piece of advice uh not not for now but to mull over for the next week i am probably going to have to upgrade from my uad one and i've got all of the plugins so what would be the best uad two for me to get 
answer some mm. of those card, please. I'd be very interested because I'm I don't really have time to do tons and tons of research. But... Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? that you can afford. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, will do. Thank you very much. And uh, Mr. Mark Tinley over there, likebeing.com. Thanks for joining us and uh, and um, sticking with us. And I haven't heard your puppy today, so it must be things must be moving well, on. It's been going absolutely. So you got some sponsorship to do as well. All right. What's that? Set? Buchla, love, yeah, that's the one. Look, that's their new logo. <laughs> awesome. I like, like, I like you when uh, uh, had a little bit of a stumble upon during the week because I was trying to find out about something and I watched the video on YouTube about it and then at the bottom I saw it said, talked about on Sonic State podcast number 299 at so many minutes and so many seconds. So I clicked on it and it took me to me talking about it and saying that it was rubbish. So then I thought, <laughs> well, I ought not to get it. <laughs> I think people with Asperger's are just very good at finding the key negative points about things and, and noticing the fine details where something's not, not right. right. So although the big picture might be that it's a great product, but I'll find the problem. We're just problem solvers, naturally. So, uh, you know, I do apologise to... No, I don't think you should, but I appreciate you taking the time. But, the, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Was the, would you care to name the product, or is that uh, just rubbing salt into the wounds? Ah, well, last week it was Line 6, the Pod 2, wasn't it? And what I've actually discovered is that the Pod 2 is still a current product and it's alongside the other pod that I've got and that they didn't replace the Pod 2 with the uh, Pod X3. The pod research XP. is everything. The Pod 2 is still for sale and it's one of their line of things that they're not trying to say the other one Right. Is the replacement for it. I've so got I've you. Made a okay, I, my phone's ringing, so I'm going to have to say goodbye to Rich, and then I'll probably have to answer it. Rich, thank you very much for joining us, um, Hiltonius.com. Ah, oh, look, Sheik, there we go. Maybe, yeah, I'll be happy to accept sponsorship from Sheik, but uh, they do that already in, in, in kind, so there's really no need to. But yes, thank you very much, Rich, for joining us. Thank you for having much me. Much appreciated. In full HD. So, uh, once again, um, that's the end of the show. I'm, like I said, I'm going to play out uh, with uh, this fabulous Alessandro Cortini track uh, and s- screw the consequences of, uh, of it. I, and In the meantime, I'm going to answer the phone. Anyway, here it comes. <laughs> 